This is episode 10 of the Sudden Wealth Podcast, brought to you by SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com, a proud provider of proven, effective legal strategies for preventing your kids from blowing their inheritance and for helping you if you're dealing with a financial windfall. Now, to see if you qualify for the strongest, most comprehensive wealth protection available, just visit SuddenWealthProtectionLaw.com and sign up to talk to an attorney. And please do that after you listen to this episode because you'll love what you're about to learn. Now at Sudden Wealth Protection Law, we know that you want your heirs, your kids or whoever your heirs are, to have the same work ethic and drive that you do. And if you've come into a windfall yourself, you want to make good choices and you want to feel understood. In order for all that to happen, you need guidance that you can trust and the support of a community of people who understand you. But the problem is this, when it comes to getting professional help in this area, there's no Betty Crocker standard of excellence or (laughs) anything like that. There's no professional licensure or federal agency that's monitoring whether people who say that they do sudden wealth actually know what in the heck they're talking about. So, you know, you don't know if they have any actual experience or not, just because they have the, the word sudden wealth or sudden money or whatever on their website. So we believe that everyone deserves competent professional help when it comes to protecting, managing, and growing personal wealth. We understand what it's like to be the target of greed, jealousy, and resentment just because you have money. I personally inherited $14 million from my father, and I blew most of it within a short time, we'll leave it at that, a a number of years, because the only people who seemed to care about my emotional needs and the only people I connected with basically turned out to be con artists. And actually, I tell this story, I think, in one of the episodes, but I quote-unquote invested in one fellow who had a business, millions of dollars that I invested, and I went up to visit the business, and coincidentally, he had just bought a multi-million dollar house, complete with a helicopter pad. So yeah, that's my own personal experience. Anyway, is why I became a certified family wealth advisor, and why I started this law firm, Sudden Wealth Protection Law. Now, although Sudden Wealth is central to our discussions, we'll also be exploring other fascinating and important topics, such as how to find happiness, business succession planning, managing a business, finding advisors that you can trust, just to name a few. In this episode, you'll learn three key insights that I believe are critical to protecting your wealth and setting yourself and your family up for long-term success. In today's podcast, we discuss Anne Perry's book, The Wise Inheritor, a guide to managing, investing, and enjoying your inheritance. Now, the three points that we talk about, the three main points are, first of all, the importance of teaching your children well, the importance of how you teach your children and what you teach your children. And then we talk about the effects of consumerism on our children and why we need to teach and show them to be financially responsible. Third, I discuss how being the perfect, quote-unquote, perfect consumer and trying to fill the inner emptiness inside with products is not really a viable lifestyle for teaching your children by example. And I also talk about how gratitude and having... Well, for me, frankly, a morning routine that I just recently started can be beneficial for teaching your mindset, which ultimately help you make better decisions and help be a better model for your children. So again, lean forward and listen carefully because this episode could have a significant impact on your future financial success.
Hey there, Alexandra and Michael. How are you both? Doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Michael, you've been reading a book lately. Can you tell us about that? You mean the one on, on inheritance? Yeah, yeah. it's by uh, Ann Perry. Ann Perry, her grandmother came up with one of the versions of Go Fish, the cards. Uh-huh. So she wound up inheriting some money. Her book, though, it's Ann Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. The book is The Wise Inheritor, A Guide to Managing, Investing, and Enjoying Your Inheritance. What I find interesting about it, given all the things that are out there, she's a journalist. She wrote books and and worked for a newspaper. She's not a financial planner. She's not an attorney. So her perspective is more typical of a journalist so that if she wants to find an answer to something, she doesn't just necessarily ask a person. She asks a number of people. And again, so she looks... So the point of view is a little bit different. And one of the things I think that I think is, you know, there's a couple, there's a number of things in here that I think are important. And maybe one I thought of that may make some sense talking about. And if we had a musical background, we could be doing some music. And that's teach your children well, so that they in turn teach their children well. And especially if you're looking to do a multi-generational either business or even passing on the wealth multi-generational. What does teaching your children well mean? Another, in other words, she's talking about if you want children that can run your business or that will take care of the assets you're, you're passing on to them, you need to teach them how to do that. Right. It's just not going to be by osmosis. And the time to start is not when they've gotten the assets, if possible. I know, Paul, your situation was different. I think that probably had a lot to do with making it even more difficult than it would normally be, is that if you teach your children at a... And she says at a young age, and she's had other, she talks to people where even when they're five and six years old, they can be taught certain things. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and one thing that I've seen, the whoever's running the business comes home, they had a bad day at work and they're yelling and screaming, my, this is a terrible place. Why do I do this to myself? If you do that, why would any child you've raised want to go take over your business? So the alternative would be, you can come home and say, you know, I, Daddy, how are you? And you go, well, I had a bad day at work, but you know, sometimes you have a bad day at school, but tomorrow we'll try to make it a better day. So it's okay to have a bad day, but then what do you do with it? And also in terms of teaching your children, if you want to teach them to handle their assets in a responsible manner, you teach them to be responsible. She points out that just because you have, and once she points out, so a lot of what she writes about isn't just off top of her head. She talks to experts in the field. She spoke with experts in the field to come to an opinion, to come to a place. So who did she talk to? Well, she talked to financial planners. She talked to academics. She would talk to attorneys. She would talk to whoever she, and when I say financial planners, she tended to be more involved with people who do financial plans, but don't sell anything. Okay. okay which I think is, is different than someone that sells. So, so she did speak to a variety, and plus her own experiences. She also spoke with other people like herself who had inherited money and were having how they got through it and what they needed to do to get through it. So what is her premise or her, I guess, her underlying belief? What I'm, so here's what I'm getting at. When you mentioned that she's a uh, journalist, I'm naturally skeptical. Because I've had my own personal experiences with journalists who just want to basically write whatever they're going to write. And I don't know why they bother talking to me. 
And then there's a good portion of the population who is very skeptical about journalists. So I, and that may or may not be relevant in this case. I don't know. Do you know if Anne had any like preconceived ideas or was I'm trying to think? The impression I get, she was old deal journalist. She's been dead for a while. I think she got her money late 80s, early 90s, and she was a journalist. So that was when if you wrote an article, you had a fact checker behind you that was saying, nope, this is wrong, this is wrong, before they would publish. Okay. Out of that old school of journalism. Sure. And and I don't get the feeling that she had either an axe to grind. I mean, I think she's just sort of describing what happened to her. And what she realizes at the end and the way she ends her book, which I think is interesting, is she talks about what after she went through all the things you 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 went through, Paul, and I to the degree went through, and deciding, you know, you finally come to the realization there's nothing wrong with having inherited the money. It's okay to do things with it. What you do, you know, there's lot there's things that are not going to make sure it goes on to the next generation. May as well three down. And one of the things she said that basically she's asked at the end, she had bought a little bit, she had bought a bigger house and there was this nice room and she had a friend going through it and her, the real estate broker, there was this nice room that had a nice view. And she asked, well, this will this be your son's room. And her reply was, no, this is where I'm going to write my book. Because what she realized at the end, she has a story to tell the same way, you, you know, Paul, with what you've done. And what this money has given me is the ability to have a space and the time to write this book. Hmm. She didn't quit her job. She stayed on with the newspaper. I mean, she her inheritance was, I think, was like mid six figures. But and a lot of the people she talks about how you go through this cycle, yeah, etc. And I think that you know the information is not what other is not necessarily all that different from what other things you read from a financial planner, a someone who is a for fee planner, and people who are selling instruments. And attorneys, the difference is, is she takes and puts things together for a variety of sources. So, and it's just written, well, it's better written than most of what I've read. Okay. She doesn't write a 260 page book by repeating, you know, writing a 40 page pamphlet and then just keep repeating it. <laughs> so what's her main advice or like, can you what, summarize like, it? What is her philosophy for like dealing with, you know, children and stuff? Like what were some things that she found were more helpful and more, were maybe less Yeah, I think to teach the children well, she said like when she had an issue when they bought their bigger house, Mm -hmm. the children started assuming that, well, we have a lot of money now, so why can't I have a fancy car at 16? And she said, no, we bought a nicer house doesn't mean we're making more money now. She separates the inheritance and what you do with that, with the fact that that may not have changed your income capability. So she tries to teach them lessons. She also talks about the fact there was a study done that children who get allowances, yeah, just children, and this is of you know of people of some means, yeah, children who get allowances do better with money than children who simply go to their parents and say, "I need twenty bucks today." Because if you have an allowance, you start treating it, and they found that children get a lot, save money, do all the kinds of things. So I guess if there's a philosophy, it's there are yeah, there's some things you can do, but Again, it's teach your children well, and well means you want to, you don't want to make the mistakes that you have made, you know, I made, or, you know, Paul, or even she, the people around her were making. I mean, she went through that whole roller coaster ride, the emotional one. She said, even teaching them that, letting them know that death is, we're going to die. Difficult conversation to have. Very few people want to do it, but it's part of, 
being alive. And so, that's the point she tries to make. How transparent should you be at kind of what ages with what's going on with your kids? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's like one of the trickiest things to navigate is to know how old they should be before you start teaching them X about money or, you know, here or to like share your own experiences. Like, here's what I've been through. Like what, you know, is kind of a good rubric for that. For me, that's a hard question to answer. I think both of my parents were in concentration camps. Mm -hmm. They knew very, very young what they had experienced. Mm -hmm. For me, what, where's the line there? I mean, I have to control myself to make a line. I think that, however, she does point out that again, if someone is five years old, it's kind of like, do you get one ice cream cone now or do you get two ice cream cones later in the week? Most little children. You, so you can start doing some things. That, that would be, you know, how do you teach I mean, part of this? And I think Paul would agree. How do you teach someone to be responsible with money? Right. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Well, especially in our society, our American society, I think it is more difficult to say no to your kids because we see other parents not saying no or caving into their kids' wants. Like I was at a store, I think Target, a couple of weeks ago, and there, there were some parents and a couple of younger kids. I think the one was looked like two to three years old, something like that. And dad was there in the freezer section. Dad was getting some ice cream treats. And the two-year-old was throwing a tantrum because he wanted the ice cream sandwich right now, right now, and was screaming and all that stuff. And so the dad gave him the ice cream sandwich. Yeah. And, you know, just fast forward 18 years or something like that. And there's going to be all that expectations and son's going to be wanting to live at home and all that, all that stuff. So yeah. It, it, and it's, it's common. It's common. I, right. So. She, she does mention that one of the difficulties we live in, a, and this is, again, this book was written, you know, the copyright, it's got a, a copyright date that's relatively new, but she died you know, a while back, and, and she talks about consumerism is a real problem in terms of how you teach your children. But part of that is also, again, teach your children well isn't just telling them. If you're running a company, and let's say you're, you're taking home 250000 which you can live a comfortable lifestyle, right? You can buy a pretty nice house. But if you're buying yourself a new Maserati every three years, <laughs> what are you teaching your children? Right. And this is where Old money and new money look very different. Older money, you know, I went to a wedding. I mentioned, you know, a friend of mine, well-to-do family, the patriarch of the family, drove himself there, no limo, and drove up in a relatively, you know, it may have been a Lincoln or Caddy, but it wasn't like it was a Maserati or $150,000 Mercedes because he was already second generation at towards the end of his life where money had been passed down to two generations below him. So yeah, like she said, yeah, I went and bought a new car because I was tired of driving a car that was in the repair shop every other week, but I didn't go and buy a hundred thousand dollar Mercedes. I went and bought a sensible car for what, you know, so so part of teaching them is you have to show them. I think verbiage isn't sufficient. So what if you're in a position where you do get a lot of money, but you don't necessarily understand how to use all of that? Like, how do you educate yourself so that you can educate your kids? Well, she points out that you, you really do need to put together a team of advisors. Yeah. I mean, she takes a little bit different approach than what we've talked about, but, but what it leads to in my head is that perhaps our initial job is to do an assessment of where that person and that family, where are they? What where are they at in terms of values, how they look at money, 
What do they want to accomplish with the money? Try to get them off the roller coaster ride and then start actually doing things with the money. You know, and she said, and some other people I've talked to, that there may be actually, it may not be a bad thing for someone to go buy themselves some kind of present or toy. As long as, you know, if they need a new car, fine, go buy yourself a $35,000 car. You don't go buy the Bugatti for $1.3 million. No matter how much you inherit, simply because it may not be a, well, you know, there are people that do inherit billions of dollars. Yeah. And the Bugatti, if you look at the car, it's nothing. But the point is, it's the, the statement that it makes. That's the other thing. So, and, and that's part of what I see as our task is to find ways of educating those people and making them aware of these issues. Yeah, you know, this is really interesting. And the challenge for me is how much of how superficial to get or how deep to get in this. Um, my problem when I had the money was I was mentally unstable. And I I mean that in a not a flippant kind of way, but actually in a very serious way that I've I've come to realize after some years of working on myself. It meaning that I've gone through most of my life, I think, feeling kind of empty inside. And so I've always been a, for most of my life, I've been a very good consumer because I'm the perfect person who wants to fill the emptiness with some kind of product. And recently I've started just making some of my own personal changes. And in, so this ties in, by the way, with what you're talking about, Michael, with teaching your children well and doing it by example, because I've these have been some well somewhat difficult for me. For example, a big thing that I just started recently is having a morning routine. And I've heard about morning routines. And there's, oh, I forget, there's a book called The Miracle Morning. There's Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. And I kind of skimmed through it. And I was, I was just kind of skeptical. The people who've done it seemed happy. And I thought, well, they must be on some drugs or something. I don't know. Who, who can possibly be that book. happy? What's that? They're selling you their book. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But so I've started a morning routine and I, I actually feel better. And I've started to mention it to my kids. They're not buying into it quite yet. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for example, it includes when I first get up, I write down my dreams as much as I can remember. I write down three things I'm grateful for, make the bed, take the dog on a run, like to actually work out because there's cortisol in the brain from sleeping the night before. And so that kind of releases that. Then I, I literally take a cold shower. And yes, I've actually started that. And it was anyway. <laughs> and then I, I meditate for a while. I do some journaling. And all of this sounds very woo-woo and, and weird and all that stuff. And yes, I was, I've been cynical and skeptical all my life. And I've, I've resisted it. And I've also done meditation previously. And I, you know, I didn't see my life getting miraculously better. So then I stopped it. But I think it's actually it's the whole package. It's not just sitting, sitting there feeling empty and miserable and then meditating. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's really difficult, but you, there's, there's a way of like, I don't know, leading up to it or whatever. And how that ties in is that it's not a matter of just getting the right professional advisors or like teaching your kids to what, to, to save their money a little bit or something. Like there's a whole package around it in, in terms of like a mindset almost it's all it's a yeah it's a whole mindset it's a whole way of living frankly and this doesn't have anything to do with practicing law you know i i can't like 
<laughs> but it's it's true. And I, I think it's just generally being a better person. And and the more I think being more in touch with reality and what the way things are and everything, like I I was, I don't know, I was not a good person. Let me back up. I was, that's not what I meant to say. I I, I was not prepared. <laughs> I was totally not prepared to get a bunch of money. And specifically because I just was not, I, I wasn't here. I, I was like living in my own preconceptions and I was negative and feeling empty and bad about myself. And that was just not a stable place for me to be making good decisions. Well, and it sounds like regardless of, you know, whether or not you have money, having the right mindset towards anything is going to make your life much more mm, easy to navigate. Yeah, it is part of, I think, Paul, you and I have talked about if we do a family, when we do family intakes, that you talk about, it isn't just, you know, one of the biggest assets a family has is their value system, how they view the world, Mm -hmm. they deal with that, whether they're proactive or reactive. Sure. Okay, I would. I'm willing to bet that really well-to-do families that move things down are proactive. Absolutely, they change, but you adapt to those changes quickly. People that are reactive are other ones that are constantly having problems. Which isn't to say that you, you know, but the world is so goofy these days that I mean, you still have issues with with drugs and all kinds of things that are get really complicated. But I think that. The, the, the real thing has to do with a, a you know, a value system and how your parents live. I mean, I had to deal with the fact that in both of my parents were extremely depressed people. I don't remember my father sleeping a night without waking up. And, and I don't remember my mother going to sleep at a sensible time. Very often she'd fall asleep once they had a bigger place. She'd fall asleep on the couch. So did her sister. I'd go to L.A. and visit her. I'd wake up at two, three in the morning and she'd be awake or just dozing on the couch. So, so that's part of teaching your children. You know, what are the values? How are you living your life is part of what you need to teach them. I mean, yeah. mention a story around charity and showing Theodore Roosevelt's father. I mean, the Roosevelt's were a well-to-do family, both, both of them. I mean, Franklin, you know, and his father used to take him when he was a boy to visit the poor parts of New York City and give, and give money to people. He took them with to show him, one, there are people that don't, don't live as well as we do, and you need to help them out. So he actually showed them that, and he, he, would give them an, he would give him an allowance, and he expected him to give some of that allowance to people he met. So that was a value. It's the same way that, the, again, that my friend's family, that when they have their annual meeting, he told me they would go around the table asking the adults because they're expected to give at least 10% of their income to charity. And they had to do it publicly. That was a value. And you had to give money more than one way. So you couldn't just give it all to one place because you like going to the opera. And if you gave money, they would give you the best box. That kind of thing. That was not okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Listen, let's wrap this up for today. That was really interesting. So let's do a quick review of the insights that we discovered in this episode. First, we talked about the importance of how well you teach your children or what you teach your children. And second, we talked about the effects of consumerism on our children and why we need to teach and show them to be financially responsible. And then third, I discussed how being a good consumer, which is, you know, kind of what 
the big business wants us to be in trying to fill the inner emptiness inside with products is not a viable lifestyle choice for teaching your children by example. And basically what I'm talking about is, yeah, just being a good, being a consumer and buying and buying and buying and, and always looking for the next new thing and always feeling inadequate. That's not a good habit to be showing your children. It's not a good model for the values that your children, that you want your children to have if they are supposed to be responsible with an inheritance. So speaking about reviews, before we end this episode, I would like for you please to go to suddenwealthprotectionlaw.com forward slash iTunes and type in your biggest takeaway or aha moment that you experienced during this episode. You can do that now in the reviews section. And when you do it, iTunes will ask you to rate this episode. I hope that we earned five stars from you. Have we? Well, actually, let me know. If we didn't, shoot me an email, okay? My email is paul at suddenwealthprotectionlaw.com. Anyway, go ahead and declare your one big takeaway in the iTunes reviews section by visiting suddenwealthprotectionlaw.com forward slash iTunes. It'll just take a few minutes out of your day, but what you declare could provide you with a lifetime of learning. So that's it for this week. And I'm attorney Paul DeLauri. I hope that our paths cross again next week for the Sudden Wealth Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you understand the psychology of money so that you can better protect, manage, and grow your money, both now and for your future generations. And please do whatever it takes to join us next time. I can't wait to connect with you then. All good wishes.